Chapter 10 Farewell to Paradise Han and Nebel made good time on their return trip, and Han guided the Yelishian dream down through the clouds on the night side. They saw several spectacular storm cells lit up from within by lightning, but when they landed at Colony One an hour or so past midnight in the short Yelishian night, it was not, for a miracle, raining. Jalus Nebel turned to Han and commented, Nice landing. I can't say I've ever done better. Han smiled at the praise and was still grinning happily as they came down the ramp and onto the landing field. Both he and the Celestin had to hastily don their infrared goggles. The night was dead black, and not a single star was visible. Well, I'm off to get a few hours of sleep, lad. The Celestin said, as he turned to head for the infirmary, where he was still under treatment, though he was no longer having to breathe filtered air. Good night. Night, Nebel. Han answered, and he turned, yawning, toward the path that led to the administration center. My bunk's gonna feel awful good, he thought. Think I'll sleep in and... Without warning, something large grabbed him from behind, and a furred paw hand clamped over his mouth to stifle his yell of surprise. Han gasped as he was lifted clean off the path and carried a few steps into the jungle. Then a familiar voice breathed into his ear, Merg is sorry to have to do that, but Vic was going to yell. We must be quiet. The Tagorian set the Corellian on his feet again, and Han took a deep breath, preparatory to giving the giant alien a good scolding about not scaring people on dark nights. Merg shook his furry head, and something about his expression, as seen through the infrared goggles, stopped Han in mid-word. Instead, he asked quietly, What's wrong? I found Mrop. Merg said. Pilot will be roused at dawn to fly to Colony 2 and take her and other shipload of pilgrims to Space Station to meet an incoming ship. Ship coming from Kessel must be... So, no time to lose. Must escape now, or Morov will be gone. Han shook his head. He was tired. He'd been sleeping in short shifts for the past four nights, and it was catching up with him. Escape tonight? Yes! Merg's anxiety was catching. Han could feel adrenaline beginning to course through his body. Must escape! Tell Merg what to do! Almost two hours before dawn, by sunrise, Morov will be waiting with others at Altar Place, and Vic and Merg must be ready with ship. Okay, okay, pal, calm down. Han tried to think what had to be done first. You've caught me by surprise here, and I need a second to unscramble my brain. First things first, we'll need some blasters, five or six of them. You used to live in the guards' barracks. Think you can sneak in and get them? Merg nodded. Yes, I will get five or six blasters. 
if I were you. I'd swipe them from the Gamorians. They're dumb as a box of rocks, and they sleep like logs. Merg's whiskers twitched with amusement. Yes. Okay, then. Meet me in front of the administration center in half an hour. With a final nod, Merg melted into the underbrush. Han headed for the administration center. First item on his agenda was to knock out the colony's comm units. He didn't want anyone summoning reinforcements from the other colonies or warning them that there was trouble afoot. When the Corellian reached the comm center, he dug in his pocket for the scrap of flimsy that Bria had given him, containing all of the security codes she'd gained from her foray into Teroenza's mind. There was the code for Teroenza's personal yacht, Talisman, the ship Han planned to use for their getaway. There was the code for Teroenza's private living quarters, and the code for the collection room. And there was also the code for the operations center that contained the colony's generators, the base security view screens, the droid repair shop, the weapons lockers, and the comm unit. Han tiptoed through the quiet hallways, wondering if he'd catch a glimpse of Merg on his errand, but he saw not a flicker of motion. By now he knew enough about the security layout of Colony One to automatically avoid the bored night guards, who were, most likely, from what he'd seen on his previous forays, asleep at their posts. It seemed an eternity before he reached the operations center, but finally he was there, entering Bria's code. With a soft, electronic hum, the door swung open. Han muttered as he crept inside. There was a guard stationed there, as Han had known there would be. A Twi'lek, asleep in the chair, feet propped up on the communic console, head tails dangling behind him like two ropes of pallid flesh. Resounding snores vibrated through the still air. Han drew his blaster, changed the setting to stun, and squeezed the trigger. A blue circular burst erupted, enveloping the guard. The Twi'lek jerked once, then collapsed bonelessly into the chair, looking exactly the same, except the snores had stopped. That's a definite plus. Han muttered, holstering his gun, stepping over to the comm unit. He pulled out the small multi tool most pilots automatically carried in their pockets, and set to work loosening the casing. He intended to disable the comm unit, then replace the casing so whoever tried to use it wouldn't realize for a while that it had been sabotaged. Moments later, he lifted the outer shell off and put it on the floor. His eyes widened at the myriads of wires, circuits, transponders, cables, and row after row of identical, unlabeled compartments. Han groaned aloud. How am I supposed to know which of these carries the line to the power generators? Selecting a wire at random, he cut it with the multi-tool's small laser torch. The power indicator remained on. Han cut another wire, then another. With growing frustration, he grabbed a handful of the circuits and yanked them loose. Still no visible result. Swearing under his breath, he ripped and tore and lasered ruthlessly until he was breathing hard with the effort and the power was still on. Over five minutes had passed. Stupid board! 
Hans snarled, and, drawing his blaster, thumbed it up to full intensity and discharged it right into the middle of the stubborn console's innards. Flames shot up, the smell of singed insulation tickled his nostrils, sparks erupted, and the power indicator went out. That's better, On muttered grimly. For good measure, he stunned the Twi'lek again, then he turned and left. Once outside the administration center, he pulled on his goggles and headed down the jungle path at a trot. His strides came faster and faster, until he was nearly running full out, and only a headlong fall into a mud puddle slowed him down. Dripping and cursing, he climbed back to his feet and headed off again. The other buildings were ahead of him now, including Bria's dorm. Han had checked out the dorms long ago and determined that unlike the administration center and the spice factories, they were not guarded at night. After all, the Talanda Till didn't care whether anyone harmed their slaves. Slaves were easily replaceable. Rhea's little bunk was on the second floor. A dim nightlight glowed in the stair landing. Han tiptoed up the stairs, blaster set on stun at the ready, but met no one. The pilgrims were so euphoric after the exultation each night that they slept like the dead. Han wasn't sure exactly which bunk Bria occupied. Peering through his goggles, he padded quietly down the central aisle, glancing at the sleeping faces in the various types of sleeping couches, pallets, and bunks favored by various species. A board creaked beneath his foot, and Han paused, holding his breath. A figure sat up in a human-style bunk, clad in a sleeveless white nightshirt. Thick, she whispered. Han nodded and beckoned urgently. Fast, he hissed. To his surprise, she was already wearing her pants. Grabbing her over-tunic and her sandals, she tiptoed toward him, automatically avoiding the squeaky floorboard. Together, in silence, they made a cautious way down the stairs, through the hall, and out into the blackness of the night. Bria pulled on her goggles. Come on! Han said, catching her hand before she had time to say a word. We gotta hurry. He broke into a run, and she pounded gamely alongside him. Soon, though, her strides shortened, and he could tell that she was fighting a stitch in her side. Slowing to a rapid walk, he towed her along the jungle path. She was breathing too hard to speak, but Han, who was in better shape, caught his breath quickly. Tonight's the night, he told her. I need you and Murd to start in on Teruenza's collection while I get the guards off our backs. Think you can do it? She nodded breathlessly. Ganatros! She gasped. Forget him, Han said curtly. You'll never see him again with any luck. But he and Teruenza. She yielded to his urgent tug and began jogging again. Going to make... Me marry him. Han's eyes widened. Ganatos wanted to marry you? Minions of Zendor? Good thing we're getting out of here. Unable to speak again, she just nodded. 
by the time they reached the administration center. Bria had her second wind. She followed Han as he led the way down the darkened corridors to the door of Teruenza's collection room. Merg was waiting for them. At his feet lay a pile of blasters. Bria's eyes widened. What are those for? Diversion, Han said. Okay, now. Here's this bypass code. Quickly, he entered the code, and as before, the door opened. The three of them tiptoed into the huge, dimly lit room. Han reached into Bria's desk and removed a powerful glow rod and flicked the bright light around the room. Think we dare turn on the lights? She nodded. It's well sealed. I checked that last week. No way to see it from Teruenza's apartment. Han switched on the overhead lights, and the room was suddenly fully illuminated. Since Bria had taken over the maintenance of the collection, she'd rearranged the entire room. The collection cases gleamed, the shelves were far less cluttered, and the colors on the tapestries were vivid, freed from their film of dust. The room's three white central support pillars had been freshly painted. All right, Han whispered. You and Merg, get started and begin picking out the items you selected. I'll be back in about fifteen minutes, okay? She nodded. But what'll I carry them in? Last week I hid a knapsack behind the backsides of the two sprites on the white jade fountain, Han said, pointing to the huge artifact. That'll get you started. I'll try to bring something else back with me if I see anything that'll work. She whispered. Merg was some distance away, examining a collection of jeweled daggers. Bria hesitated, her expression anguished. Han put his hands on her shoulders. What is it, honey? Vic, I've never done anything like this before. She bit her lip and gestured at the blasters Merg had brought. Guns and steathing? People could get hurt. Even killed. You could get killed, or me. She was shivering all over. Han put his arms around her, pulled her to him. Bria, we have to go tonight, he said, though it was an effort to keep his voice gentle and hide his impatience. Tomorrow they're shipping Morov to the mines of Kessel. The ship's probably going to arrive in orbit any time now to take her away. It's now or never, sweetheart. And, and, she was clinging to the front of his coverall with both hands. I'm afraid of what will happen to me when I leave here, without the exultation. How can I live without it? You'll have me, he reminded her. We'll be together. I'll be with you every minute. You'll be okay. She gulped and nodded, but two tears ran down her cheeks. Han gave her an encouraging grin. Hey, he said, I'm better than Ganner Toss, right? Bria managed a choked laugh and then gave him a watery smile. Han grabbed the blasters and headed out the door, making sure it was closed behind him, then down the corridor. Carrying six guns in one's arms, he discovered, wasn't easy. He finally wound up shoving them into the front of his coverall and into his belt. They impeded his motion somewhat, 
but that was better than juggling them in his arms and fearing that one or more would fall to the floor with a crash. The night was as dark as ever, but Han knew that dawn couldn't be more than an hour away now. He managed an awkward lope down the muddy path, blasters whacking into his legs and bouncing against his chest. It took him nearly seven minutes to reach the first glitter-stim factory, and another two to creep up close enough to the guard. A huge Gamorian to stun the alien at close range, seeing the creature's huge porcine bulk. Han gave him an extra shot to keep him quiet for as long as this was going to take him. Then he turned and walked into the factory, straight to the turbo lift, the extra blasters nearly tripping him as he squeezed through the mesh door. Setting the turbo lift for the bottom floor, he endured the ride down, down into the night black chill and the darkness beyond darkness, when Han reached the bottom level, the one where Bria had worked. He turned right to where he'd caught a glimpse of the containers of raw glitter stim waiting to be apportioned to the workers. Yanking the five blasters out of his belt, he kept the sixth as a spare, since he hadn't known to make sure his own was fully charged for tonight's escapade. Han arranged them atop the glitter stim in a tasteful, rayed sun design. Then he quickly opened each one up and— peering through his goggles, set the powerful weapon to overload. A thin whining filled the air, growing louder, echoing in the cavernous space as more and more whines joined the first in the dank depths of the factory. That ought to do it, Han whispered to himself, and knowing he had only minutes to get free before the whole place went boom, he bolted for the turbo lift. The rush of wind across his sweating face felt Good. Han leaped out, ran down the first floor of the factory, leaped over the recumbent Gamorian, who was just beginning to snort and stir, and ran off into the night. He was halfway back to the administration center when Han felt the ground shake and turned to see a gout of yellow flame reaching into the night. Moments later, the blue sparks of glitter stim fizzed up like fireworks, sending sparkling streamers high into the air. Han could barely guess how many credits he was watching go up in smoke. It was a sobering sight. Ahead of him, he heard a commotion from the administration center, and moments later, he had to jump off the path and continue through the jungle as a gaggle of yelling guards nearly ran him over. Slipping in the muck of the forest floor, Han managed to keep a good pace as he ran the rest of the way. His boots left muddy footprints on the steps of the administration center as he pounded up them, then down the corridors toward Teroenza's treasure room. There were guards all over now, shouting and yelling questions, but none stopped or questioned Han. He made it to the door of the collection room, looked both ways, and then slipped inside. Bria and Murg looked up saw him, then relaxed visibly. How's it going? Han whispered. Okay, Bria replied softly. We've almost finished the A-list. Great. What did Vic do? Merg asked. Vic blew up the glitter stim factory, Han said with satisfaction. A whole bunch of pilgrims are now out of a job. Oh, Vic, 
if we get caught. Bria's face was chalky. We won't, Han said. I've got everything under control. He reached for a hand-sized sculpture of a Torsk from Alzok III, carved from lapis, and when it proved heavier than he'd realized, yanked hard to pull it toward him. The sculpture tilted up to reveal a snarl of wires and transponders. Somewhere next door, in Teroenza's personal apartments, an alarm began to buzz stridently. Han stared at the sculpture, then at his fellow thieves. Uh-oh.